At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, hello, and welcome back to When in Romance, where we get to talk about all things romance in Landia. I am Jess. And I am Trisha. And we are recording early this week on Tuesday, May 9th, 2023. Uh, a lovely Tuesday, I guess. Um, how are you doing, Trisha? <laughs> I am doing well. I, I think it is a lovely Tuesday. I think you are correct in that assessment. Tuesdays in May. You know, there are worse Tuesdays to be had than Tuesdays in May. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? How are things going? Oh, they're, they're going, but it's, 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 a, little, it's a little hot. Uh, that may be one of the drawbacks to Tuesdays in May in Tucson. Yeah, it's, it's moving fast this year. It, it's already been hot. As we've mentioned before, apparently Tucson people really like to talk about the weather. That's like... Mm-hmm. That's a thing because it's either hot or raining. I mean, I feel like it's kind of a public service because some people listening might want to move to or visit Tucson. So those people are welcome. Yes. Come visit by the end of the month or in October. (laughs) Yeah. See, that's good advice. This is public service. (laughs) Yeah. Somehow it is already May and I think our next episode would be on Memorial Day. So we... It'll be a minute before you'll all have plenty of time to go visit Jess in Tucson before the end of May, because I think we'll be off for a couple of weeks after this. But but something exciting is happening in June, Jess. Absolutely. We are having another One in Romance book club. Um, If you missed it last time, we will be reading Rules of Engagement by Stacey Abrams, writing as Selena Montgomery. We'll be recording on June 22nd. That episode will air on the 26th. But if you want to send us your thoughts, questions, ideas, concerns, exclamations, any of those things, send us those before June 22nd. Perfect. Hooray. In other exciting news, we talked about this last time as well, but Book Riot has launched a new podcast. It is called First Edition, in which BookRiot.com, you might be familiar with it, co-founder Jeff O'Neill explores the wide bookish world with interviews, lists, rankings, retrospectives, recommendations, and so much more, featuring people who know and also love books. (laughs) You can find it anywhere that you listen to podcasts, including wherever you are listening to this podcast. Couple of recent episodes were things like digging into the legacy of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. By the way, I've heard that movie is excellent. I have not watched it yet. I haven't either. <laughs> well, you know, maybe eventually, maybe with our time off in May, we'll, we'll watch that movie. Yeah. Um, we're talking about whether Rebecca and Jeff can correctly determine what the It Book of April was going to be. Well, maybe you should listen back on that and see uh, if they were able to be successful. So anyway, lots of fun stuff. So uh, if you are a bookish podcast person, and we know that you are, maybe check out First Edition. And I think uh, we have actually kind of an interesting and new and exciting 
Well, it's not really new, and ex- it's not new because we're only going to be able to do it once. But we had—I had an idea. I had an idea for for today's episode, and Jess was kind enough to gamely agree to go along. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna do something a little different today, and we will get into it uh, right after the ad break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right. So I, like I said, had a little idea. I was listening to, um, we were talking just a minute ago about Jeff and Rebecca, who host the Book Riot podcast. They also host a bonus podcast on Patreon that uh, I actually started subscribing to like two months ago so that I could listen to what they had to say when they did a book club of a Colleen Hoover book, which Mm. was fascinating. Side note, that may come back around. (laughs) <laughs> and one of the things that they do on their podcast is, on the bonus episodes on the Patreon, is power rankings of certain books, right? So, for example, they did power ranking the books that came out in 2000. So, you might think to yourself, that's very random. I wouldn't recognize the names of any of the books that came out in 2000. Trust me, you would. <laughs> Even if you are not a person who reads, like, a lot of nonfiction or a lot of general fiction or whatever, you would recognize these. So, they kind of just talk through, like, one to ten Where would they put like the most influential, most impactful, not necessarily their favorite books, not necessarily the best books, but the ones that had the most impact. So I said to Jess, what if we did that for the last 10 years of romance? And we power ranked our rankings. They are ours. We made them up. You can tell us we're wrong. We don't care. We have made them up. We made up the rules. We kind of made up the game based on someone else's game. But we decided that we would, you know, take a a little break off from the usual structure and uh, maybe do a little bit of power ranking. Again, these are sort of the books, the romance books that have come out in the last 10 years that for one reason or another, we think are the most impactful. Again, not necessarily our favorites. That is going to be very true of at least one of mine. Uh, Not necessarily the best. Again, very true of at least one of mine. But the ones that for one reason or another, we think had some kind of an impact on the larger book world. Now, I know, Jess, that uh, the first time around, I didn't do a great job of explaining this to you. So if you think I did not do a great (laughs) job of explaining it to everyone else, feel free to jump in and, and add anything that is missing. No, see, that is very clear. And you would think that I would have said, that's very clear and gone about my merry way and done this very thing. But no, I was like, I thought that was very clear, but I am obviously underestimating how complicated this will be. So I'm going to complicate it even more. And poor Trisha has had to listen to me trying to figure out the best way to do this. So this is going to be interesting for all of us. I think it's going to be a fun time. Like I said, (laughs) 
it's our game, it's our rules. And uh, so basically, however it goes is a success. That's what I say. Famous last words. Mm-hmm. We'll see what I say in 30 minutes. But I, I think I'm going to say the same thing. We'll see. <laughs> Anything you want to say before we jump in? Absolutely. Well, kind of. Ab- I don't know. So I <laughs> want people to know what my methodology was because... I heard the last 10 years and obviously had to go, well, that means I can only use one for each year. Oh, interesting. So I started with Trisha recommended looking at the Goodreads Choice Awards. I looked at what those winners were. And then I looked at what my choices were for those years. And there were a couple years that I didn't vote or my choices were like at the bottom. Um, and then I thought about influence by author And Mm -hmm. then I realized so many of those authors are people whose books I might have read when I was younger and don't read anymore, Mm -hmm. or whose books are like, I don't know, they're common and frequent and understandable, and I get that. Mm -hmm. And then I went through my own Goodreads to see what my favorite books were for each of those 10 years. And I was able to pull between two and five for most of the years. But then when you get back to the earlier years of the past decade, I was doing a lot of catch up. I was reading Jennifer Cruzy and Victoria Dahl and Eloisa mm-hmm. James and Julia Quinn. And I was going to the library or buying like all of their books at once. So like my favorite books of 2013 were half of the Bridgerton series. My favorite books of 2012 were half of the Bridge. So yeah, sure. it's complicated. Mm-hmm. But I think I figured something out. <laughs> I, I stand in suspense. And I will say I did not pick a book from each year. So if our lists are, I have a feeling our lists are going to be different regardless. But that is a thing that will be kind of an inherent difference in the lists. And, uh, and again, we're going to see how it goes. So without further ado, Jess, do you want to give me your number 10? My number 10 is American Dreamer by oh, Adriana Herrera. That's a good one. Yeah. And I was thinking about this one not just because it it actually didn't find its way into my favorite of the year because I w- then decided to remove those that I read a year that was not the year it came out. But I changed my mind. Um, <laughs> and this was the first in Adriana Herrera's romance career. It has lasting interest. It started out as an e-only book. It moved to print mass markets, and now it's in print trades. And it's one of a very few number of non-Karina Adores Karina books that are I frequently see in bookstores. And I think the fact that she wrote a queer, mostly Latina friends who lived in a popular place, but had a different experience than so many of the books that we would see. It wasn't shopaholic. It wasn't, you know, all of these books. So, and I think that that book in particular, and the rest of the books in the series, and the rest of the books that she continues to write, um, have really made an impact on Latina representation in romance. That is a very good pick. I didn't put that on my list. I wish I would have thought to. So my number 10 is, I think, to be very, very honest, maybe the most sentimental uh, favorites of this, because I think I can make a case for it, but it's a little tricky. And that is Forbidden by Beverly Jenkins. Mm. I think, like I said, I think it may not have caused quite the ripple 
in the world or even the romance world that some of these did. But it is, I think, high, I believe it came out in 2016. I believe it's the highest rated of the sort of non-Indigo, non-really early Beverly Jenkins books. It kind of, it sort of re-established, it was as people were kind of starting, I think, a little bit to get more into romance. It was a title that was mm. kind of a big deal. And there was a, there was going to be a film adaptation of it. And that was, I think, one of the first major film deals, which, as we talked about last time or the time before, those don't always work out. This one seems like maybe Mm -hmm. it's at least on hold if it did work out. And that was kind of a big deal. Like, there were not a lot of romances being adapted at all, traditionally published romances or, you know, anything based on novels, and certainly not based on characters in the American West, historical West, written by a Black author. So, like I said, mm-hmm. I think this one may not have had quite the impact that some of the ones that we're going to talk about do. But but yeah, I'm sticking with it. Forbidden. Beverly Jenkins. Absolutely. And it's interesting that you say that because my number nine, while not forbidden by Beverly Jenkins, mm-hmm. is An Extraordinary Union by Alyssa Cole. I almost did that one. I We're on the same page. <laughs> Darners. I was hoping we were just like so different, but no. I mean, yeah, in a shocking turn of events. I I knew we weren't (laughs) going to be different. Like, no, no. Yeah, I have a feeling we'll have some overlap. (laughs) Yeah. And An Extraordinary Union, I believe, received the last Romantic Times Award for Best Book. It got some recognition among not just romance readers, but like librarians and and it just sort of it was in my experience the first trade paperback i had seen that was a historical romance with a black woman on the cover mm-hmm. and that was big but also i think that this book really started that more mainstream conversation about historical accuracy and Oh, yeah. Who can be represented in historical fiction, especially American historical fiction or historical romance. And I know that that conversation has been going on for a while, but I think 2017 when it came out was really a really good time for that conversation to happen, not only on like in human spaces, but online, on social media, on Twitter, on on all of these places that were still not quite as big as they are now, but where people were actually talking about it. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. My nine, I went in a little bit of a different uh, direction, and I went with Neon Gods by Katie Robert, because I think, mm. and I, again, our rules, our opinions, we could be wrong, but I, I feel like this is one of the first erotic romance books that really went mainstream. I think it's one of the first erotic romance series that really, I mean, you could find these in your Barnes and Noble, probably in your Target, possibly in your grocery store. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that they are the first erotic romances to be in that category. They certainly are not. But you see these titles. This is one of the most popular book series, romance book series that is currently active. And I think it's a you know, maybe it's the legacy of Fifty Shades of Grey or some of the Sylvia Day books that make people a little more comfortable with that. But I have been surprised by how many people I know who are reading the Neon God series, where I think it's called the Dark Olympus series, but it starts with Neon Gods. 
Dark Olympus, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was my nine. Okay, want to hear a funny story? Yes, <laughs> always. I almost put Katie Robert on my list. See? But in- instead, for my number eight, I went with this book because I had to pick one. So I just picked one. Mm-hmm. And that is Sinner by Sierra Simone. And ah. I just needed a Sierra Simone book to talk about mm-hmm. because Sierra Simone is similarly one of those dark romance people who has made a big impact on who whose books we see. Um, and I know that Katie Robert is very similar as far as readership. I just think Sierra Simone, she was there a little before Katie and has written across across many areas of the erotic romance spectrum. Um, from things that she's self-published to things that she's published with smaller presses. And now she, Saint Sinner and Priest are all Bloom books pickups. And Bloom is notorious for picking up things that are incredibly popular in other spaces so that they can just bring the readership along. And I think Sierra and Katie are sort of similarly balanced. Um, so I think it's funny that one is your your number nine and one is my number eight. <laughs> yes, I think that is, again, I, I was expecting some overlap. I think we'll eventually get to some title overlap, but this is not really surprising at all. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if my number eight is somewhere on your list. And that is Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert. And I picked this one. It's interesting that you mentioned this sort of self-publishing and traditional publishing. I feel like Talia Hibbert is one of maybe not the first necessarily, but one of the most prominent examples of an author who built such a strong independent publishing reputation and then was offered Mm -hmm. and very deserving of a traditional publishing contract. I also think that these books are, the, the Brown Sisters trilogy, all of these books are both very popular and also have better representation than most of the book's that would be popular at the same level. So for example, mm-hmm. Get a Life Chloe Brown includes a fat black female character who has a chronic illness. And mm-hmm. none of the I mean, certainly her chronic illness impacts her life, but none of those things are really like the center of the story. And it's like I said, you know, we've we've talked before probably a million times before about how Talia Hibbert does representation and just writes really fun charming, lovely books. And I think the fact that these books, again, were ones that were not hard to find, that lots of folks were reading, that did have a mainstream popularity, just kind of shows that she has been a major part of of a little bit of that shift, both in terms of indie publishing, but also in terms of broad representation, and not just kind of one type of representation. Mm -hmm. Is Get a Life Chloe Brown on your list, Jess? It is not. Oh, I am surprised. All right. Okay. This is uh this is what the power rankings are all about. It was on like the maybe second iteration of my list. It's like the honorable mention category. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely one of my honorable mentions. Well, what is what's your number 7? My number 7 is a little bit of a left turn. Ooh. Um and that is a Bollywood affair. By Sonali Dave. Ah. Oh, interesting. Because Sonali Dev is not on my list. <laughs> oh, really? 
Yes. I so yeah, no, tell me more. I was I was have I I thought about it and didn't end up doing it. So, you know, A Bollywood Affair is her first book and she wrote four books in the contemporary angsty romance slash women's fiction area before she moved to her her Jane Austen books. Mm-hmm. And there is something about the intersection of this like super angsty, dramatic without melodrama, but still highlighting sort of this Bollywood feel mm-hmm. with the actual fantastic writing that nobody else does um that i feel kind of had an impact on the layout of romance in 2015 2014 2015 and like i i can't say what exactly the impact was but i know that like this super emotional centering of people with mental health issues Mm -hmm who were also South Asian and South Asian American made an impact and yeah. continues to make an impact, I think. Yeah, I think that's uh, absolutely right. I um, And I think you, I remember reading one of those books when I was on jury duty for a year and a half from the spring of 2014 <laughs> to the fall of 2015. So, so yeah, I think timing was you're, uh, you're exactly right there. I'm so glad that she is on your list. Because like I said, I've had a lot of angst about the fact that she wasn't on mine. My number seven Mm -hmm. is also a little bit of a left turn in kind of a different way. So I went with Truth or Beard by Penny Reed. And it's not so Mm. much this title that I feel like deserves to be on the list. I mean, you know, I love the Winston Brothers series and that's great. But I think it's more kind of like the phenomenon of what Penny Reed has decided to do with her Mm -hmm. career. So she sort of famously put her first book, Neanderthal Seeks Human, on Amazon for free as kind of like a bet or a joke. Somebody She kind of said, you know, I'm reading these romances. They're not very good. Someone said, write a better one. So she did. And like her (laughs) friend's book club or somebody wanted to read it. So she just put it up for free. And then it kept getting all of these downloads. She was going to take it down. And she realized like, oh, shoot, people are reading this book. And so she kind of launched a career. She launched that series. She did the Winston Brothers series. And then she started basically her own imprint for books that exist in her universes of her series. So other authors would mm-hmm. write about like secondary or tertiary characters from the Winston Brothers series or from the Chicago knitting series or from wherever, which that in and of itself, I think is really interesting. She has also, I think she may have written one book for Montlake, but she has also largely stayed independent Despite her success, Mm -hmm. I think the thing, though, that, like, put me over the top and put her on my list is that she recently launched a Patreon for, like, very fancy covers for her books. And I don't know exactly what all is in there. Mm -hmm. It's very little, if any, new material, as far as I can tell. And I believe she raised well over a quarter of a million dollars in 24 hours. It might have been closer to half a million, actually. Um, I think by the Mm -hmm. time the Patreon closed, it was between five and six hundred thousand dollars. Which is, I think her initial goal was maybe 25,000. So there is very clearly, I think there are certain subsets, right, of like romance that don't necessarily get as talked about, as discussed, as poked on in the mainstream, 
I think Christina C. Jones has another person who is kind of doing some of that same stuff. I mean, not quite to the same extent, but I think her books are also very popular and very under the radar. Like, I think there are Mm -hmm. aspects and corners of romance that are very important to, like, a lot of people, but who are still not quite mainstream in the way that we might think and talk about them. So I think just because of the explosion of independent publishing and, you know, what that has meant for romance for the last decade, I needed to uh, to acknowledge Truth or Beard or really kind of any of the Penny Reed books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's good. And you've made me realize an interesting gap in my own rankings. But we can have another one. Exactly. <laughs> again, it's our game. We can do it again. <laughs> Yeah, and y'all y'all know who we like, but, you know. It's true. Uh, what, what do you have for six? My number six is The Kiss Quotient by Helen Wong. That is my number five. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll say why it's mine and then... Yes, and then, yeah. So, yeah, my, my number six is The Kiss Quotient. And not only did it sort of lead the way when it came to openly neurodivergent characters, especially those with autism. But Helen Huang herself was one of the first mainstream contemporary romance authors of East Asian descent writing in the this like trade paperback space. And it's weird to think of this book coming out, what, six or seven years ago? Like... It's been out a while. Yeah, it came out in 2018, I think. But the um, series, she's still only written three books because, you know, we we take what we can get from her because her books are that great. Mm-hmm. And the, the three books, The Kiss Quotient, The Bride Test, and The Heart Principle, are still wildly popular. You know, she had that Illuminicrate, I think, edition that sold out within minutes. I was mm-hmm. so upset. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, like, that she's another one who sort of paved the way for her peers. And while I feel like Asian American representation in general is still very, very low in romance, both in trade paperback, mass market, and in indie, like, it's, it's getting a little better. And we've, we've seen that happen more since the case quotient came out. Yeah, everything. I agree with everything you said. When I was looking at the books on my list, this one, uh, there's one that has more Goodreads ratings than the Kiss Quotient, but the Kiss Quotient has 380,000 plus Goodreads ratings. I also I remember part of the reason that I'm fairly sure that this book came out in 2018 is because I remember sitting down with I happened one of the folks from Berkeley happened to be in DC in the fall of 2017. And I basically said to her, like, what are you excited about for next year? And she mm-hmm. listed three books. Uh, one, Another one of them is part of kind of the list a little further down. So I won't mention that one. But it was this book. It was fumbled. <laughs> and all three were in that illustrated cover trade paperback space that, like you said, Jess, I really think I'm not going to say again. I'm not going to say this was the first book. I'm not going to say 2018 was the first year that that was happening. But I do think that Berkeley rightly have put a lot of money behind the publicity and marketing of this book and the series. And again, rightly for all the reasons that you talked about. But also, I think it sort of changed the style of what we mm. think about and look at when we look at bookshelves and are thinking about romance. 
So that's exciting. Yes. So we've done my five. I will I will do my six really quickly, um, and then maybe we'll take a little break. But my number six is Ice Planet Barbarians by Ruby Dixon. I think this book, which, to be fair, I have not read, but I know an <laughs> astonishing amount about this book because of book talk, which, again, I'm not <laughs> even on. But somehow, like... <laughs> This book was able to, I, there were, I was listening to podcasts that are about like internet culture or just regular culture that they were talking, but they're not about books. They certainly aren't about romance books. They were talking about Ice Planet Barbarians. I think you could certainly make the argument that there are other authors and other books that have sold more copies as a result of book talk. But I think this mm-hmm. was one of the first books that made us really recognize that book talk was going to be a thing. Like the fact that this mm-hmm. book that had been out at that time for at least five or six years, got this resurgence because of the enthusiasm around book talk. I think to me, it signaled a transition in social media around where books are mm-hmm. being kind of marketed and sold, which may transition again, almost certainly will. All of that is true. But to my mind, this one sticks out as like the first major romance book talk book. Again, I'm not on book talk. I could be wrong about that. But as someone who is not on book talk, this is the one that I think permeated beyond just that social media aspect. Mm, yeah, I can see that. Should I take that to mean Ice Planet Barbarians is not on your list, Jess? <laughs> Ice Planet Barbarians is weirdly not on my list because now I'm like, how did that not make my list? But Oh, I mean, I think we've both had that experience already and we're only halfway through. <laughs> so, um, uh, well, you know my number five, but before we get to yours, why don't we take a quick break and then we'll get into... Uh, the top, the top half of the of the power rankings. Absolutely. All right, Jess. As discussed, my number five was the kiss quotient. So we have again, as discussed, we have discussed it. So, uh, <laughs> how about you? What's your number five? My number five. Weirdly, I don't like weirdly to me because I didn't expect it to be here like twenty four hours ago. Is take the lead by Alexis Daria. Ooh, interesting. I read that book in 2017, and it was all I could talk about for months. I go back sometimes to see what I thought about it, and literally my review is, I'm crying, why am I crying? Five stars. (laughs) Um, That's so lovely. And it's still one of the few books and series that I've seen that's set in this, like, Dancing with the Stars universe. But I also think it helped bring in the reality TV thing. Mm-hmm. We'd seen rock stars, we'd seen movie stars, we'd seen athletes and all of that. But we, like, the reality TV thing, while also being impacted heavily by the fact that there is so much more of it now, it was a slow build. And now even Take the Lead is one of the few that's not food related. Right. That's a really good point. But I feel like it sort of helped with that concept of romance among reality TV and what is real and what is created by the network and all of that stuff. Um, And then, of course, her her following books also addressed some of that. And now Take the Lead has been bought and rewritten and reproduced for the modern age because reality TV and everything connected to it has significantly changed Mm -hmm. since 2017. 
So there is the fact that her her influence started in 2017 with people who were reading primarily digitally, and now she has this great trade paperback cover that will draw people in and want more, hopefully. Yeah, it's funny. I was I can't remember what sort of internet rabbit hole I fell into recently, uh, but I saw that someone was talking about their most anticipated books of 2013 or 2023 rather, and Take the Lead was on the list. And I was like, oh, if only mm-hmm. you knew, you could have actually been reading this book before. <laughs> how sad for you. Yeah. I, you know, we talked about how I don't do rereads, but I might actually reread this one just <gasps> because I'm curious at what changes she has made. That would be fascinating. You'll have to let us know if that ends up happening. Will do. <laughs> so my, like I said, we did my five. So my four is The Duke Who Didn't by Courtney Milan. Mm. And I think, again, this is a book that's maybe a little under some people's radars. It doesn't have as many ratings on Goodreads as some of the other books that we're talking about. But it is, I can't remember if this was the first year or the second year that a romance landed on the New York Times notable 100 books of the year list. Mm. We talked very early on in this podcast about the lack of appreciation that the New York Times book criticism team had for romance that has changed pretty dramatically in the time that we've been mm-hmm. doing this podcast and i think this the, the inclusion of this book on a best books overall like one of the best fiction books of the year is indicative of that i think also the fact that it is self-published independently published if i'm remembering correctly the year it was on the list it was the mm-hmm. only book on the list that was not traditionally published which i think is also kind of a big deal. I think it seems like a little thing, like it seems fairly small, like, well, it's just one of 100 books or well, it's, you know, yeah, it's self-published, but 99 of them weren't. But I think this is how change happens, right? You know, it's, Mm -hmm. I think last year, there were maybe two or three books that were, you know, romance category books in the small C category of romance, not category romances. I'm making everything complicated. But I think (laughs) there were, like I said, there were more than one on that same list of 100 books. And when previously, romance was basically being laughed at by New York Times writers, not even 10 years ago, more like mm-hmm. five or six. That's uh, that's kind of a big deal. So anyway, all of that to say, um, I know this was a favorite of yours. I don't know if it's on your list, but The Duke Who Didn't by Courtney Milan is my number four. It is not on my list. And once again, honorable mention could have made it. Could have been. Could have been. Put something else in that slot. Uh, Well, what do you have in number four instead? My number four, which actually probably should be higher, I don't know, is The Wedding Date by Jasmine Guillory. Mm -hmm. And this one is, I think it's probably one of the ones that was mentioned in your conversation with the Berkeley person, because I know it came out the same year as The Kiss Quotient. It was The Wedding Date, (laughs) The Kiss Quotient, and Fumbled were the three. And all three are ones that we have talked at length about on the show. Yep. And this one, I feel like when this book was coming out, it was a big, big deal. Mm -hmm. Roxanne Gay reviewed it on Goodreads. That was the first time anybody had ever seen her talking about a romance novel on Goodreads. I got a box from Berkeley. (laughs) And now she's writing one. Yes, I know. Awesome. I'm so excited. The box I got from Berkeley, it was just like, I pulled it out and it was like, Mm -hmm. this is different. 
Like, this is going to change things because it's not just the fact that it's a book by a Black author, which is very important, with a Black main character who is fat, also very important. This was the first book I remember getting from Berkeley that was a trade paperback Mm. with an illustrated cover. And I'm not saying this is the first time that it happened. I'm just saying this was the, the popular new thing with the wedding date. And I feel like it got Berkeley in a lot more spaces than they had been before. And it got romance in a lot more spaces than it had been before. And Jasmine Guillory, bless her heart, she's been writing mm-hmm. nonstop ever since. She she ends up on Good Morning America or the Today Show or whichever one it is. Um, she can, like, crown... Mm-hmm authors basically with her influence and while we have had this conversation many times about how she is not the queen of romance featuring black characters or black romance she is one of the most visible people in those spaces and is one of the people who can say hey guess what there are books that are romance novels that have black people in them come with me come down this hole Um, And I think that that really started with The Wedding Date. Yeah, so The Proposal, which is the second book in that series, um, also by Jasmine Guillory, is my number two. So I'll talk about it now just because I think Mm -hmm. everything you're saying, I completely agree with. And I think it was a Reese Witherspoon. The reason I picked this one instead of The Wedding Date is because it was a Reese Witherspoon book club book. Which, to be clear, it's not because Ah. I have, like, any kind of affinity for the Reese Witherspoon book club. But I do think that, as you Mm -hmm. were saying... That position got more people who had never read a romance and particularly had never read a romance by a Black author to read those things, you know, through this book than would have otherwise, right? I think it really did open a door that a lot of, not necessarily for authors, like you said, there was some kind of discussion around who Jasmine Guillory was and is in the sort of larger spectrum and story of of romance writing, But I think for romance readers, she has served as um, an author who can provide an entryway into some representation that we don't see particularly regularly. So so I'm with you. Different books, same author. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, That was your four. Is that right? That was my four. Yeah. All right. I'm going to give you my three. I have like mixed feelings about it, but I kind of felt like I had to. So my three isn't Mm -hmm. even a book. And I'll tell you why. It's a person, and that's Colleen Hoover. And yeah. the reason that it's not a book is because I haven't read enough Colleen Hoover to know, like, which of her books would fit on this list. The ones mm. that I have read, I have not loved. One of the ones that I have read is not a romance. But I couldn't – I wanted so badly to leave her off the list, just, but I couldn't bring myself to do it because I was in an airport on Saturday and their, like, display of, like, books people are excited about – was all Colleen Hoover books. There might have been like one Mm -hmm. title that was not, but they were all like, this is an author who, it was also really interesting. Um, I think you did the same thing. I was looking back through the Goodreads Choice romance winners from the last 10 years. And Colleen Hoover has regularly appeared on that list. Like she is not a new phenomenon. She is, for whatever else you might think of, of her writing or her books, she is an author who has been putting in the time and putting in the work and putting out the books They have been there, and they have been really popular among a subsection of romance readers for a really long time. And so, Mm -hmm. like I said, she is an author whose style is not for me, 
And again, I I don't even really know which of her books. I know November 9th is a romance because I read that one. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, again, I don't I don't know. I like I said, I felt like the impact was such that she needed to be a part of the conversation. Yeah. But I think it's also sort of interesting to think and talk about the fact that just because something is impactful doesn't necessarily make it impactful for the better. We have been talking about a Mm -hmm. lot of books that have been impactful in terms of breaking down barriers and opening doors. And I don't know that that is a thing that I would classify Colleen Hoover's books as having done. Yeah. Yeah. And I I looked at, I went back to look at her books won in uh, 2015, 16, and 17. And I haven't read any of those books, but one of them in 2016 was It Ends With Us. Which is back yes. to being super popular, thanks again to your favorite thing, book talk. Yeah. Um, and I think we're going to be going through these cycles, I think, especially as authors who were initially independently published are being picked up by bigger publishers who can distribute them in in various places. Yeah, like I was in Barnes and Noble the other day and she has her own table forever. Mm-hmm. Like yep. <laughs> there, yep. there is never going to be a time when that Colleen Hoover table isn't going to be there. And we will continue to say to each their own sure. for many, many things. Yeah. I don't think there are any Nazis in Colleen Hoover's books. So as as I'm not tell. saying nobody in yeah. In those books deserves the love and happiness that they arrive at. There are just many of her books are not technically romance. They are more romantic fiction. <laughs> that's and that's the thing. I think you could actually make that argument of it ends with us. I, mm, yeah, whatever. Anyway. Anyway. Again, to each their own. I will say if you are interested in supporting Book Ride on Patreon, even just for a month to hear the discussion Jeff and Rebecca had about it ends with us by Colleen Hoover. It is worth hearing. I think they did a really nice job of trying to be sort of critical in that in like a small C like critical lens. Like neither of them liked this book, but they did try mm-hmm. to sort of dive into what it was that they found frustrating or why it might be that it might appeal to so many people. Like it's it's a much mm-hmm. more nuanced discussion than just we had to read this book and it sucked and we don't like it. It was much yeah. more interesting than that, I think. And again, these books are connecting with a lot of people. And my hope, I, my my fear is that they are not introducing new romance readers into kind of the other kinds of books that we are talking about here. But maybe they are. I might That may be an unfair assessment on my part. Yeah. I mean, if they do what they did with everything that came out after Neon Gods and just sort of have stylistic similarities to her covers, we mm-hmm. might see more of that happening because like the spicy talk table is like super dark right Mm -hmm. it's it's very 50 shades of gray but like 21st century 50 shades of gray so if the other book talk table looks more like colleen hoover's but with different content maybe that will draw people to it i don't know i'm not i do not have a degree in marketing i know absolutely (laughs) nothing about how that works uh, take anything I say with a grain of salt. <laughs> I will take anything you said up till now, but I will not take with a grain of salt your number. Are we at your three? My three. Yes. My number three, weirdly, I keep saying that. I don't know why, is Wicked in the Wallflower by Sarah McLean. Oh, interesting. And I picked that one because I think it's a turning point in her writing in particular. 
And it really stands as an obvious turning point in historical romance. And, you know, we could say that Cat Sebastian and KJ Charles and some of those people might have had a more visible, made a more visible impact. But I think that Wicked in the Wallflower, Brazen the Beast, that series, and then her new series, which starts with Bombshell, really have a very different feel than your pre-2018, like, Dukes and Ballrooms books. Mm-hmm. And I think that because Sarah is, like, maybe not one of the most well-known people in the world, she's pretty well-known in romance, especially since she has had access to writing articles for the Washington Post and um, her Faded Mates podcast that she does with Jen... Prokop, I think, is wildly popular. And people sort of take her thoughts as interesting and good to know and go with her recommendations and all of that. So I think Wicked in the Wallflower is the first of a large spectrum of books that really sort of turned away from ducal courtship, as it mm-hmm. were, and sort of gave us a little bit more fun. Yeah, I noticed when I was doing my list that a lot of the kind of traditional set in England historical romances really are not on my list because I was having a hard time sort of distinguishing where there might have been a turning point. But I think everything you're saying makes a ton of sense. Mm. We have done my number two, The Proposal by Jasmine Guillory. So I think we are at your number two. My number two is The Love Hypothesis by Ali Hazelwood. Oh, interesting. And my notes for it are just honestly. Um, But (laughs) I feel like there was something about this book that really like caused a reaction that I wasn't expecting and brought a lot of people into romance. Now, Mm -hmm. these are people who maybe mostly read fan fiction or, you know, wanted to see women in science, which I know have always existed um, in these books, just not in popular books. Mm -hmm. But it was one of, it was a book of the month, right? It had popular Raylo fan art. And Ali's writing is just like delightful and um, very fan fiction like in the best way. And Mm -hmm. I think that that book in particular sort of let romance be light <laughs> again mm-hmm. yeah. i don't know um yeah. it it was you know i know that there are people who have certain issues with um the book itself with the setup of it and all of that stuff and once again to each their own but i think it brought it sort of it didn't start the rom-com revolution but it definitely sits at the center of it i think I actually still have not read that book, so I will take your word for it. (laughs) But it definitely, like, you know, speaking of books that sometimes belong on the list even more because we haven't read them, it is one that I, I mean, I could draw the cover for you. Mm -hmm. Be having, like, again, not ever read it myself, but I have seen it in so many places and know so many people who love it that I think that makes a ton of sense. We are at my number one, which I think you may have guessed because we were talking a little bit before and I mentioned this as one that I was going to include on my list and haven't talked about it yet. 
And that is Red, White, and Royal Blue, which I think this this is one of those books that is, if I'm remembering correctly, third person present tense, which (laughs) is a very difficult thing for me to read. Oh, I should have mentioned it's by Casey McQuiston. And so in terms of like my own personal reading style, this one didn't connect super well. But boy, am I in the minority on that. This is the book I mentioned, one that had nearly twice as many reviews as The Kiss Quotient. And setting Colleen Hoover aside, this one has by far the most ratings on Goodreads with 718,000 plus. This was the first, I think this has been the first mainstream queer adult romance. And maybe I shouldn't say first, but it it feels like one of the first for sure that Mm -hmm. has been so popular, so easy to find. Again, this is one that you can find in Target and you can find maybe in Costco and certainly in Barnes and Noble, probably on an end cap. And mm-hmm. it is a book that so many people connected with that is actually being made into a film. I think either the poster or the trailer or something came out recently. And I think, you know, with, I think, I think Boyfriend Material by Alexis Hall came out the same year. And frankly, that one was a better fit for me and my reading style. But so many people love this book so much. And I think it, it, again, speaking of books that kind of opened doors for people, I think this is one that opened doors for people reading about queer romance, even people who don't necessarily identify as queer. I think they were reminded that love stories are love stories and you can read about anything. So yeah, this one, you know, if I had to name a book from the last 10 years that I think has had the biggest punch, for me, it's Red, White, and Royal Blue. So now it's Time for you, Jess, to tell us what is your number one book on your list. My number one is also a book that I have not yet finished. And I love saying not yet finished. Like, I just started it when I started it like six months ago. And I had started it a year before that. And I had started it a year before that. And someday, maybe I will make it through the whole thing. And that is Beach Read by Emily Henry. Ah, number one. Interesting. Say more about how it landed at the top of your list. And, you know, we were talking about um, sort of this thing versus about impact and influence. And if you look at the Goodreads Choice Awards, Emily Henry has won the past two. And Beach Read is one of those books similar to others that we've talked about where people say they never picked up a romance novel before that. And I mm-hmm. feel like Emily Henry is the actual romance version of Colleen Hoover. Oh, interesting. Yeah. If someone has read one romance novel, it's one of her books. Mm-hmm. Her books are coming out in hardcover now. They're one of very few Berkeley books coming out first in hardcover. She has those full tables the same way that Colleen Hoover does. And she only has four books out in the adult romance arena. Mm -hmm. So I think that she has had a massive impact in part because I think almost all of her books have come out during the pandemic. And if we look at how romance has been during the pandemic everything has increased two, three, four fold. Even if you look at the Goodreads Mm -hmm. Choice Awards, voting in 
the 2010s was in the 30 and 40 thousands. Voting in the last one was in the 80 and 90 thousands for the winner, which means mm-hmm. voting voting was even bigger um, for the whole thing. So yeah. it it's just I think this this is the era of Emily Henry, um, and I think Beach Read did something to people who thought I'm not a romance reader, but I'll try this one because it sounds like it's not really a romance where it's it's just it's a romance, um, and you know. She too has made sort of an impact with the style of her books. You know, we were talking about it stylistically. If more books looked like Colleen Hoover's, maybe people who read her would be more interested in them. I think publishers have done that with Emily Henry's books anyway. And I say I haven't read Beach Read. People We Meet on Vacation is apparently her most beloved book. I absolutely adored Book Lovers which I listened to an audio, which might make all the difference. But I think some of these authors who have written a low enough number of books that you can name them have somehow made a significantly bigger impact on romance as we know it. Not because they're better or because they do things differently or because they're crossover titles or whatever, or because they're literary, but be- in part because they're pretty. I mean, that certainly helps. <laughs> that certainly helps. And there you have it. We have officially and definitively defined the uh, most influential books of the last 10 years. Don't tell us we're wrong. We don't want to hear it. Actually, we would love to hear if uh, any of you disagree with anything that we said. Um, If you have your own power rankings, if you have your own thoughts, of course, feel free to share those with us. As always, you can reach us at whenandromance at bookriot.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Trisha Haley Brown. And you can find me on Twitter at Jess is reading all one word on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading. And on the clock app at just underscore is reading. And just as a reminder, these are books we find impactful or influential. They're not always our preferences. We would have incredibly different lists if it was just our favorite books of the last 10 years. Which maybe we'll do that one someday too, right? Who's to say? Who's to say? Before we sign off, Jess, what is, what is your verdict? Was this as painless as I wanted it to be or uh, angstier than, than you could have could have hoped? I, I actually had an easier time once I figured out my own methodology of how to make this work. And I, it was a definitely an interesting and fun process with some surprising results. Well, that's all we can hope for. <laughs> Huge thanks, as always, to our wonderful audio editor, Jen Zink. Please rate and review the podcast. I don't know, that might be all I've got for today, Jess. How about you? That's it for me. All y'all out there, happy reading. <laughs>